Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Thank you. Good morning. How are you all? Well, wonderful weekend. Could we have some lights on the auditorium? It would be fantastic. Good to see you. Well, let's pray, hey? Heavenly Father, this morning we open our heart to receive the Word of God. Lord, that it would be engrafted in our heart and in our mind and we would be everything that Jesus has called us to be. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, long weekend. And in a couple more weeks, we've got another long weekend. How good is Queensland? Yes? Why don't you turn to someone this morning and say, you look good. Do it quickly. You look good. All right, now I want you to do something else. Now just trust me with this, all right? I want you to, and we'll do this appropriately, I want you to turn to, to someone you're sitting with and someone you know and, and just say this, you smell good. You smell good. Trust me. All right. Smell good. All right. Why did he say that? But wait, there's more. All right. So we are continuing on in the book of John and we're up to chapter 11. And chapter 11 is about the story of Lazarus. And last week we looked at that and it was a pretty exciting time, the book of, uh, the story of Lazarus. So what I would like to do, we're going to continue on in the book of John chapter 11. We're going to go from verse 45 to 57. However, John 11 is one whole story and we can't really separate them and so we had to separate them because it's just such a big story and there's so much there to receive. So I want to kind of like recap what we spoke about last week. And the key verse of the Gospel of John is John chapter 20, verse 31. Now, I know some people will say that John 3.16 is the most important verse in there. That is true. But John chapter 20, verse 31 is the reason or the purpose that John wrote the letter. And it says this in John chapter 20, verse 31. But these things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. And that is, that's what John wants us to understand, that we need to have a revelation from the Gospel of John concerning who Jesus is, so that we would believe. I, I pointed out that, uh, you know, John wrote this at between AD 90 and AD 100. There are 879 verses or scriptures in the Gospel of John. 60, uh, sorry, 95 have a reference to believe, believed, believers, believing. However, there are 63 verses about belief. God wants us to believe. That's the revelation that John is bringing to us this morning, to believe. And to believe means this, 
to be persuaded, to place confidence in, to trust, to rely upon. And so that's what we need to do. So when you are reading the Gospel of John, you need to read it with the thought of, hey, I need to be persuaded about what the Scripture says. I need to place my confidence in this. I've got to trust, I've got to rely upon what is being said there. So for example, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever what? Believe. We can put in there to be persuaded, to have confidence in, to trust, to rely upon, that whosoever has those thoughts, that inclination, believing, trusting, relying on, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is what faith is about. We need to believe. And so we're reading that with the thought of believing. And then we pointed out that there are actually seven I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. And the I am statements are given because Jesus is talking about himself and he is revealing to us who he is. He said that I am the bread of heaven, John 6.35. He said, I am the light of the world, John 8.12. He said, I, I am uh, the gate, John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10, verse 11. And in this chapter, probably the most important I am, Jesus says, I am the, revel- uh, sorry, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's important for us. Because we place our faith in Jesus so that we, we leave this life and we go into eternal life with confidence and the promise of God. So we look at those I am statements and Jesus is revealing who he is regarding his nature and character so that we can have confidence and we can trust that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Because if we don't place our confidence in him, who or what are you going to place your confidence in? Are you going to place it in yourself? Have you, quick question, have you ever let yourself down? Put your hand up. Thank you for those honest people. Has someone else ever let you down? Absolutely. I never got coffee this morning from my wife. She let me down. But I, I'm a Christian, I forgave her. But I'm believing for tomorrow. You see, we let ourselves down, others let ourselves down, but God will never let us down. And we've got to move into that realm of continually trusting who He is. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so in this portion, in that portion of Scripture that we read, John 11, verse 1 to 44, there were seven believe statements in there. Jesus asked Mary, do you believe? What do you believe? He's, do you believe that I'm the Messiah? She says, yes, I believe, Lord. And then we see, as we came to the end of that portion of Scripture we found something really interesting. Jesus goes to the temple. He sees Lazarus' tomb and he weeps. That shows us his humanity. You want to know what someone is made of? Take him to a place of sorrow and watch him weep. Think about those you've lost. And it touches you. That's what makes us human. Jesus was totally human and he was totally God. And Jesus said this, roll back the stones. And Mary says, but Lord, he's been dead for four days. And we went through the process of understanding what that would have been like. It would have been horrific. But Jesus said to Mary, if you would believe, 
if you would trust me, if you'd rely upon me, if you would have confidence in in me, if you'd be persuaded, I'm going to do something great. And so they rolled back the stone. And Jesus said this, Lazarus, come out. Now some Bible commentators said, if Jesus had not said Lazarus, everybody in that graveyard would have come out if they would have responded by faith. Now, I don't know if that's true, but at that moment, Lazarus came out. And then something incredible happened. They said to him, un-what? Unwrap him, unbind him. Do you know, that's a picture for us about what's going to happen in the resurrection of you, of me, when he calls us out. This mortal, this perishable, shall put on mortality. It will put on the imperishable. This physical body will be unwrapped. And our, and our spirit will be with the Lord. What an incredible picture just there. He calls us by name. It will be a great moment. And that's where we kind of like ended last week. So let's go on and let's read. What would happen if you saw that? Would you be excited? Someone that you had lost had come back to life. Someone that you had been with and now gone. It must have been a shout-down party for sure. Must have been dancing. And this is what it said in verse 45. We can look at it on the screen. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus. And when they, when they saw this happen, but some Pharisees, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. They must have been excited as well. They must have been happy about what had taken place. They weren't. But Martha and Mary, at that moment, their sadness had turned into joy. Their mourning had turned into dancing. Things began to change. Here's what we can gather from this scripture reading this morning. A miracle brings different responses. A miracle brings different responses. A miracle is not always well received. Now you can say, well, I want to see miracles. I want to see miracles. But be prepared. You see, these things are written so that we may believe in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. But what happens in life, we will have experiences that kind of like sometimes can come and shake us. And listen what happens here. A miracle is not always well received. These guys, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Do you remember the story of the man who was demon-possessed by legion? The man who was chained to stones in a graveyard, who would cut himself, who would scream in the middle of night. The man from Gadarenes, a man that was possessed and his life was in torture. 
And the people that lived in that area just couldn't stand it, but they kept away from him. But they knew where he was. He confronts Jesus, and Jesus releases this man from this demonic hold. And what takes place? The demons come out, they go into the pigs, the pigs freak out, the pigs run over the edge, they go into the water and they drown themselves. Then the people come to Jesus, where an incredible miracle has taken place, and it says this in the Scripture, they begged Jesus to go away. And they said, leave us alone. Luke chapter 8. They begged Jesus. Why why would they do that? How can that be? Here is a guy that's living in their area. He's being tortured. He's screaming. He's cutting himself. He's been abusing himself for, for a long, long time. The guy gets set free and the people say, Jesus, go away from us. Go away from us. Now, some, some might think, well, maybe it was an uh, economical thing. You know, like, we're going to lose money because we've lost all our pigs. It had nothing to do with that at all. It has nothing to do with finances. What was it all about? They couldn't handle being in the presence of a God who would bring release. They would rather stay that the man was demon-possessed for the rest of their life. They couldn't handle the Holy One of God. They couldn't handle light coming into darkness. Have you ever walked into a room at work or at a party and you just went to talk to someone and they just kind of like walked out of the situation? And you think to yourself, did I shower? Did I, did I put on underarm deodorant? And you look on the bottom of your shoe, there's nothing there. Why is that? It's because light is coming into darkness and darkness cannot comprehend it and so darkness must flee. When Jesus released this man from his torture, and they saw him sitting there right in his, in his right mind and at peace. And Jesus is there. They go, go away from us. We can't handle this. Why? Because when a holy God comes into a situation, he will always confront us about our behavior. He couldn't handle it. Listen to this scripture, John, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter. 2 verse 15 and 16. Our lives, folks, are like a fragrance of Christ, rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate to such a task as this? Turn to that person next to you and say, you smell good. And it's not because of Brute 33, might I add, Marcelo? It's because of the fragrance of Christ 
that you carry with you. And when you walk into a room carrying the fragrance of Christ, some people smell that and they retract from that because to them it's the smell of death and doom of what they know is going to happen. And they won't be, they won't be in a situation they feel that they can change what is going on. It's not what you've done in those situations. It's who that you are carrying in those situations. You are a miracle of God. Saved, set free. And when light comes into darkness, darkness doesn't comprehend it and it goes, i got to get out of here. Everywhere you go, you take Jesus with you. You take his presence, but some can't handle it. In that situation... Some would rather have had that demon-possessed maniac in their midst rather than the presence of God in their midst. Think about that. That's unbelievable. Because when God comes into a situation, He will confront you of what is going on. You know, the Holy Spirit in John 16, it says this, when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment to come. Do you remember when Peter was out all night fishing with the guys and he's fishing away and they can't catch anything and they're coming into shore and Jesus is there and Jesus says, hey guys, guys, go out into the deep and cast your net. And Peter goes, Lord, we've been fishing all night. We, we, can't, we can't do it. We can't do it. He says, trust me. And as he goes and drops that net into the water, they pull up so many fish that it's almost tearing the net. Do you know what Peter said after that? Listen to this. Peter says this, Luke 5 verse 8. He says, Lord, go away from me because I am a sinful man. That was his first interaction with Jesus because he came in with light. And this is what happens in this situation. That God does something incredibly great, raising Lazarus from the dead, and people can't handle it. Because this is what happens. When you bring the presence of God into a situation, you're going to have a reaction. Always a reaction. Jesus is confronting folks. And not everyone loves what he does. We'll read on, verse 47. So these people go and see the Pharisees and tell them what Jesus has done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. Listen to what they say. What are we going to do? This is what they asked each other. You would think they would be happy about miracles and someone coming back from the dead. But they weren't. This man certainly performs miraculous signs. So there's no doubt about the miraculous taking place. And it says this, if we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Wow. Well, let's hope so. This is what they said. Then the Roman army 
will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Jesus is bringing life, and all they can see is death. Sometimes when miracles come, people will receive it, and some will reject it. They will become fearful of it. And in this this life that we live as an expression of God, when the miraculous takes happen, one of two things will, will take place and you will respond accordingly. There will either be faith or there will be fear. There will be faith or there will be fear. You have a choice. When God moves in your life, how will you read it? How will you react? When God begins to prove himself to you, Will you respond out of faith or fear? They thought they were going to lose the nation. They thought they were going to lose the temple. You know, if you think about it, Jesus came so that they could personally become the temple of God. Jesus came so that there could be one people. Not division. They responded out of fear, not out of faith. I ask myself when I read this and I see the unfolding of Scripture, what am I afraid of when the miraculous comes? What are you afraid of when the miraculous comes? Are you afraid of losing two mites? Are you afraid of losing two? Five loaves and two fish. When the miraculous is before us, waiting to happen, do we respond like the widow and says, well, all I have is a, a little oil and a little flour. Do you then give it and see the miracle? If I give my life to Christ constantly, I will not lose it. I gain life because I gain Him. He brings life to us. This is Daniel. Say, good morning, Daniel. Daniel loves lights. So he might just stand there and he just might look at lights. Is that okay? Because this is family, isn't it? Yeah, we love Daniel. We love you, Daniel. All right, Daniel's cool. If anyone else would like to come up with Daniel, that's fine too. Daniel's good. He's a good lad. He loves Jesus. You love Daniel? Daniel, do you love Jesus? Often he'll just do this. Is that right, Dad? He just beat his heart. He loves Jesus. That's cool, mate. Yeah. So, what are you doing when a miracle comes is there a response of faith is there a response of fear and don't say well i will always respond with faith because sometimes your whole circumstances and your whole life will change when the miracle comes but we have to trust god we have to break the fear cycle in our life What possibility, what experience are you missing out on when fear is holding you like a twisted serpent? What is it? 
Let the miracle come. Let us embrace that by faith. Let us see what God can do. Jesus promised greater works than these shall you do. Let's throw our hearts open to him. Do you know what I love about the Word of God? The Word of God reveals Jesus to us. The Word of God also reveals what happens in life so that we can learn about it, so that we can just take the time maybe just to dig a little bit inside the Scripture. So these guys are fearful about a miracle because Jesus has caused an uproar. And they didn't like him. So do you know what they do? Two things happen again. There is prophecy and there is plots. There's prophecy and plots. Jesus has become super well-known. And the Pharisees and the leading priests call the high council together. They're called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is made up of two groups, Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees, now I'm, I'm telling you so you can understand what it's like, the Pharisees are interested in keeping the law. They want to keep it to the utmost. They keep all their traditions. They're super, hyper-religious. That's the Pharisees. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they were interested in political power. They were the aristocracy of the day. They were the ones that actually negotiated with Rome about keeping their temple. And so we have these two groups within this big group. Those who want to keep the law and those who want to keep the power. And they always clash, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees wanted to keep it. They were just so legalistic and these guys were so worldly. How can those two work together under one setting? But here's the thing. The Sadducees were priests and they were the ones who really had the power vote in this situation. And so they come, and this is what it says in verse 49, to the high priest, Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for, for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation be destroyed. He did not say this of his own as the high priest at the time. He was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation, and not only for the nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. Prophecy. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. And as a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. And he went to a place near the wilderness, to the village of Ephraim and stayed there with his disciples. The Word of God reveals what can happen in our life. The Word of God shows us what can take place. What is taking place here? That the group who want to destroy Jesus, 
begin to prophesy and plot. Can I encourage you with this? It doesn't matter who is plotting against God's plan, it can never be changed. It can never be interrupted. God's plan is set for us. And the enemy can plot. He can do what he likes, but it will never be changed. In fact, God uses his enemies at times to declare what is going to take place. That's the prophecy. It doesn't matter what the enemy plot, plots, God turns it for good. Romans 8.28. You know, Romans 8.28 is easy to say when everything is going good, but it's so hard to embrace it when things are going tough. Does everyone know what Romans 8.28 is? And we know this, for God works together for the good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, we have people who are prophesying what God is going to do, and then we see them plotting what they're going to do. Do you remember Joseph, who was quite an arrogant young man, and his brothers grabbed him and threw him in the prison, and uh, sorry, threw him in the pit, sold him into slavery, got a job and a good house, then thrown into a prison, and then he was promoted to prime minister, and he finally sees his brothers, and he breaks down, and he says this, what you planned for evil, God meant for good. Never forget it, folks. God means it for good, even when you don't like it. I don't think Joseph was sitting in the bottom of that pit and going, oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Or when a, a woman confronts him and he wants, she wants him to have you know, sex with him, I don't think he was going, this is the day, this is the day. And he ran, and then he got thrown into prison. And he, he wasn't singing, oh, the fig tree does not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vine. Man, I think he was kind of like pretty tough going through it. But it says the Lord was with him. And in an instant, his life changes. And he's serving the nations of the world. Think about this. This is incredible. How sometimes that we can interpret things wrong that God reveals to us. He said to his brothers, I had a dream and you guys will bow down to me. And they're going, what? Don't think so. I tell you what, if my brothers, you know, if I said that to my brothers... I would have been on the ground faster than you could say, Yahoo. And then he has another dream. And he, and, uh, he says, oh, mum and dad, and you guys are all going to bow down to me. You see, in his mind, he thinks they are going to serve him. But what he didn't realize, that he was going to serve them. And God always turns things around for the benefit for all. Or not at all. Amazing. One of my favorite <laughs> verses of Scripture is 1 Samuel chapter 19. And I, I, love, I love this. I, I, I would read it for years. I'm telling you, for years I was going to I'm saying, God, what, what does this mean? I love the story of this. 1 Samuel 19. Saul 
is trying to capture David and Samuel. He's trying to kill them. So he sends a group of guys to go and get him. And all of a sudden, there's Samuel and there's prophets, and prophets are prophesying. And they go to grab him, and the Spirit of the Lord comes on this group of men, and they start prophesying. And Saul hears, and he goes, well, okay, what am I going to do now? He sends another group of guys. He sends a troop. The troop comes and sees the prophets prophesying, the guys that they sent prophesying. And they go to grab them, and guess what happens? They start prophesying. And Saul hears about it. So what does he do? Third time lucky, he thinks. He sends another group of guys to get these guys. How dumb is this guy? He sends another stack of guys. They go, and as soon as they get into the presence of these guys, guess what they do? They start prophesying. Word comes back to Saul. Saul is angry, as angry can be. I mean, it's like turning up at McDonald's and saying there's no Big Macs. He's angry. And he goes, I'm going to get... He goes there, and as soon as he gets into that presence, guess what happens? He falls down, he strips off his clothes, and he lies down on the ground naked, which is a shameful thing for a man, let alone a king. And he starts prophesying. And for years I would read that and i go, that's it, God's got him. If you, your enemy's coming to get you, God's going to get them. He's going to show them who's boss. And I would read that and I'd get so excited. And then one day, just one day, this thought came to me from the Spirit of God. What were they prophesying? What were they prophesying? And it was like the Holy Spirit went, whoosh. And I went, of course. They were prophesying who David was, what David would do, and that he was his man. They were prophesying how God was going to use David in this situation. And no plan of man can thwart the plans of God. Nothing. Even there be a thousand against me. As we sang this morning, I'm surrounded by you. And he used them, those men. Imagine that. Words coming out of their mouth, lifting up the guy that they're trying to kill. It's ironic. Prophecy and plots. God makes the enemy prophesy what God will do. God's word and his will is already established in heaven and it cannot be shaken. What is God's will for you? That you be like Jesus. That you share the good news. That you love one another. Let's move on. Faith or fear. Prophecy or plots? I like this one. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover. The Passover celebration. And many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. 
And as we've mentioned before, that it was the responsibility and there was a demand that was put on males at a certain age who lived in a certain distance from Jerusalem, they had to go and celebrate the Passover. No exceptions. So it's almost time. People moving into Jerusalem. City's getting bigger. Temple's getting a bit chaotic. People in the outer court. People in the inner court. Oh, it's all going on. And this is what takes place. They kept looking for Jesus. (laughs) But as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, look at this. What do you think? He won't come for Passover. Will he? (laughs) Meanwhile, the leading priests and the Pharisees had publicly ordered or put on Facebook, anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. Will he or won't he come? Will he or won't he come? Will he come? He will come. No doubt. He's coming, folks. It's his responsibility to come. Just as his responsibility to go to the Passover. His. They missed it. They're selling the Passover, and here is the Passover. The Passover lamb. When I read that, I went, Lord, what am I missing? What am I missing that you're doing in my life? It's before us. Do you think God is moving in the world? I mean, seriously, do you think he's doing it? Do you think he's bringing it together, putting it together, making connections and links in our lives? God, open my eyes that I might see. I love that. I can imagine them all standing around. You know those gang of bullies at school? Yeah, let's just find out. Will he come? Will he? He's coming. The Passover lamb is coming. So this morning, my question for you is this. When the miraculous takes place, will you respond out of faith or failure? Will you respond out of faith or fear? Because fear is failure. When we fear it, we fail God in our belief to Him. Are we going to trust in the prophecy of God rather than the plots of man? Because we know for certain He will come. Let's stand this morning. I want to grab everything that God has for me.
And I know you do too. I know you do too. He is with us. He's not against us. He's for us. He's around us, in and out. Our God loves us and cares for us and wants us to move by faith. I sensed this this morning as I was praying before the service that there's fear sometimes that comes into your heart. Not all the time, but sometimes there's fear. And it's when God wants to move and do a miraculous thing in your life. And you've got to trust Him. You've got to believe. You've got to be persuaded. You've got to rely upon Him. You've got to, you've got to trust Him. And I believe if you respond by faith, fear will be broken. Every time. If you respond by faith, fear is broken. Because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's the spirit of faith. Power, love, and soundness of mind. So close your eyes this morning. Let the Holy Spirit touch you this morning. You know, it's interesting that Alyssa mentioned that that song was in her heart all week. That song was in my heart all week. Because we just need one touch. Just one touch of his garment, friends. I sense his presence here this morning to break stuff out of our lives and off our lives so that we can be free. Totally free. Why don't we sing this? Just really, just as a prayer. And then... If you would like prayer this morning, just come. Believing to be free, free, free. I'm believing that God by the Holy Spirit will touch you and set you free. If you have faith to believe, then you respond. You don't have to tell me what it is. God already knows what it is, but He wants to see if you're willing to do what it takes to get that freedom in your life. Just one touch. Let's worship Him this morning. And if you want prayer and agreement to be touched by Jesus this morning, come. Come to Him. Come to Him. was thinking about Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 it says this for by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourself it's a gift of God lest anyone should boast and I was thinking about that scripture and I thought who wrote that that was Paul Paul the apostle because you know what he realized the grace of God was the change agent in his life that set him free. He was such a religious, bound-up guy. He says, but, but by grace, I've been, I've been saved. It's a gift. It's, it's the gift of God. You know, God's grace is here for you this morning. Nothing you can do for it. Nothing you can do. His grace is here this morning. Because the Spirit of grace is here this morning. 
faith to believe. But just reading in the book of Acts, when Paul and Barnabas went to a certain place, there was a guy who was crippled in his feet, and they were preaching. And it says this, Paul looked at him, and the guy had faith to believe. And he just said to him, stand up. And he was healed instantly. Just have to have faith to believe, to be fully persuaded, to be convinced, to trust, to rely upon. I'm just trying to build some faith in you this morning. He wants to touch you. I have no power. But the power of the Holy Spirit is here this morning to touch you. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.